0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O, G-U-E-L-P-H.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared, Nightcrawler, Next Goal Wins, The Volunteer, Birdman, Citizen Four, and more. On Friday, December 12th, the U-Bar hosts Stay Out of the Mall 13, featuring Mets, Weaves, and Badminton Racket. And at 1 p.m. on Saturday, December 13th, Thomas King is signing copies of his Governor General's award-winning new novel, The Back of the Turtle. The Bookshelf is an independently-owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. For more information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca.
0: Creative Control with Vish
2: I believe this will be the final episode of the show for this year. Um, this could change, but I, I believe that's it. It's busy around here with my new daughter and family's visiting, and it's the holiday season. There's a lot going on, so I think that'll be it. This again, things could change, but as far as I know, this is it. And I'm proud of the fact that going out. Tom Sharpling. Uh, Tom Sharpling is someone whose work I've admired for many years. He used to host the best show on WFMU, which was amazing, and then he stopped doing the show last year, and now he's bringing it back in a slightly new but mostly similar format, and that's coming imminently. So I took it as an opportunity to try to contact Tom there and see if he wanted to have a chat, and he did. So we had a conversation about uh, the, the new version of the best show, Uh, his life and times and and other stuff as well so I hope you will uh, enjoy this uh, episode and this interview with Tom Sharpling I don't know if you know who he is but if you do or if you don't I I hope that uh, somehow you still find this insightful so here it is myself and Tom Sharpling thank you for supporting the show this year and if this is indeed the the last episode of the year I'll, I'll see you in 2015 right? right here we go
0: Kazoo and Keep Your Eyes Open are pleased to present Stay Out of the Mall 13, a festive music festival that benefits the Canadian Cancer Society towards leukemia research. Night 1 takes place Thursday, December 11th at Silence and features performances by Jennifer Castle, John Southworth, and Shopkeeper. Night 2 takes place Friday, December 12th at the E-Bar with Mets, Weaves, and Badminton Racket. Silence is an accessible venue at 46 Essex Street. The E-Bar is located at 41 Quebec Street, but has stairs and is regrettably not a Physically accessible space. Tickets to both all ages licensed shows are available at ticketbreak.com. Or bring a non perishable food item to the bookshelf at 41 Quebec Street or to the door and save $2 off admission. Learn more about Stay Out of the Mall 13 at their Facebook event page. See you all there. The Garden State Sits a cool town That'll make you feel great Built on an ancient Viking burial ground There is no other Better place around New Bridge people Are the best of the land If someone falls down We all have a hand We all know our place We all know our worth We used to be last, But now we're coming in first Because We're New bridge. We're coming to catch up We're New Bridge We're back and we're proud We're New Bridge are we're, this we're, we're it
2: loud. Tom Sharpling is a comedic writer, performer, and personality who hails from the state of New Jersey. He founded a fanzine and record label called 18 Wheeler in the early 1990s. He was a writer and executive producer on the TV show Monk during its seven-year run on the USA Network. He made contributions to the show Tim and Eric Awesome Show Great Job, and has directed music videos and short films for people like the New Pornographers, Ted Leo, the Postal Service, and Amy Mann, among others. But along with John Worcester, Sharpling is perhaps most beloved as one half of the comedy duo Sharpling and Worcester, and for hosting the popular and influential call-in music program The Best Show on WFMU in Jersey City, New Jersey. Sharpling commandeered The Best Show for 13 years before ending its run last December 2013, but this past October he announced that The Best Show would be returning as a podcast podcast, which can soon be found at thebestshow.net. Oh, and also the Numero Group is releasing a 16-CD Sharpling and Worcester Best of the Best Show box set this coming March. Here now to discuss some of these things is Tom Sharpling. Uh, hi, Tom. How are
1: you? Good. How are you doing?
2: I'm very well. Where, where are you, Tom?
1: I am in New Jersey.
2: How are things in New Jersey today?
1: Good. A little wet, but other than that, it's still... Still all right. No snow yet.
2: Yeah, we haven't had any snow here in Guelph. It's very gray here. Very gray and rainy.
1: Same here. Yeah. Gray.
2: It's, I, I, we don't know what's Do you? Are you a snow guy? Do you like the cold and the snow?
1: Uh, I'm getting over it a little bit. I thought I liked it more than I did, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm losing. It's losing its charm.
2: You you appreciate the warm weather more as you, what, get older? What 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 is it?
1: I guess so. I don't know. It's just, uh, the last winter was so brutal that I—I th- I was just kind of—I felt over it last winter. I was just like, "This is unrelenting," and there's there's not even a fun side to this 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 weather this time. Yeah, but
2: we'll see. It was a particularly long winter. Yeah. Uh, well, the original announcement about the return of the best show explicitly suggested it'd be back in. November or thereabouts. So I'm curious, what's the current status of the uh, the, new, um, the new show? Well,
1: we're in or thereabouts territory. So we're 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 really close. We're really close. What is uh,
2: what what is what exactly is the holdup per se?
1: I mean, it's it's not even a holdup as much as it's just this thing has to be built. Hmm. It's like. Um, it's we're building a studio basically, so and then getting this set up to to work the way we want it to work, and uh, just trying to get it right. And it's, it just takes time, you know. Nothing's really gone wrong, but it's just it's just a lot of steps.
2: Now, if you could describe the current status, is it a situation where you set everything? Everything's kind of set up, but there's like, you know, certain logistics that haven't been established is that where you're at or
1: it's it's a, there's a lot of stages to a thing like this to make sure everything works together and everybody working on it um has done such a great job but it's just it's just a time consuming multi-stage process so we're getting there okay. it's just it just takes time
2: okay so we're in thereabouts territory. Have you, have you kind of abandoned a, a timeline until certain things get worked out?
1: No, I'm going to announce it. It's, 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 an announcement is imminent. Okay. Uh, we just have to hit a couple more marks on stuff, and then, uh, then, we can, uh, then we can come back.
2: Fair enough, fair enough. Now, for people who aren't familiar with you or, or your show, what exactly, or why exactly, I suppose, did you stop doing the best show last year?
1: Well, the the show was was a it's a 3 hour show and it's it's pretty uh time intensive to put together because there's a lot of writing that goes into it and then there's a lot of coordinating and all the the production and all that stuff and when you add it up it um it, it kind of was it was getting a little overwhelming uh schedule-wise. And it kind of um it was manageable for a long time, but then as the show got more popular, that just made the stuff take, there's more to do. And before you know it, it's almost a full-time job. So it was, we were at a crossroads where it's like, either we got to do less here and, uh, you know, do the amount that can fit the schedule or kind of, got to stop doing the show and, uh, cause I wasn't going to just do some, some, uh, crummy version of the show that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, something that could fit my available time. So uh, after 13 years, it was just time to, to, uh, to just, uh, to pull the plug on it.
2: <laughs> were, were there episodes, when you kind of made this realization, were there episodes where you tried to apply tweaks to kind of reduce the workload? I'm not suggesting coast, but sort of figure out ways around how much work the show was?
1: No, they're really, it's just, if you're all in, you're all in. It's just how it goes with that stuff. It's like, I wouldn't even want to entertain the idea of, of uh, cutting corners on it.
2: Of course, and and so just so people are clear, you were a volunteer at the station.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's a it's a non commercial station, and uh, so there's not a uh, you, there's you don't make money there for your show. So,
2: is and it's kind of a situation where you are you like kind of not legally necessarily, but they don't you couldn't even make money even if you would figured out a way to make money doing the show, like at the college station that I work at and, and volunteer at like it would be kind of a conflict of interest if you were able to generate revenue from volunteering. Is that the case for a show at WFMU?
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's it's uh there are there are uh guidelines and rules to uh to that you have to stay within so that the station can maintain its non commercial status and you really can't go there looking to Promote your things and try to generate uh, income. Um, it's it's not there for you to for you to uh, capitalize upon in that regard.
2: Right. So, what were you doing while you were doing the show? You were working, presumably. What kinds of things were you doing?
1: For for uh, eight years of the show, I worked on uh, the the show Monk. Um, so I worked on that during during the run. And then for the final few years, I've developed shows and, and written scripts and stuff like that. Um, just kind of a bunch of different projects.
2: Right. All very time-consuming.
1: Yeah, those are full-time jobs.
2: Yeah. So it makes sense that you would stop doing the best show in its in, in that form. Some people see the dissemination of so much free cultural content as a signal that that content has generally been devalued in some way. What's your take on the way in which people are producing and consuming things these days?
1: It's it's a strange time now where uh, people definitely want content um, for things and they kind of want their version of everything where you, you generally don't put up with any sort of show or, or uh, podcast or, or or anything that doesn't speak to you. Like, you don't have to try to find what appeals to you in something that's wildly popular anymore. You can find something that's meant for you. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think that's a good thing, because it, it lets people who might not be conventionally uh, entertaining in the Old showbiz way they they in the technology makes it so they can have a voice now and they can reach their people so I think that's great. I, I think there's a there's a definite sense of entitlement in terms of what the value of entertainment is where people have no problem dropping $500 hundred six600 dollars on the phone that they're gonna consume things with. But don't think any that any of the content that they're consuming is worth anything they'll pay any people will pay anything for the hardware at this point, and they're they're not much less concerned with the uh, with the content.
2: Do you have a sense of where that kind of evolved or devolved from?
1: Um, I think in terms of music, I think you could say with the music industry, they they blew it by uh, by phasing out the the single because the, you used to be able to get your favorite song for ninety nine cents, and then when the, the rise of the CD came, they real they that that went away for the most part. I mean, they tried CD singles, but they didn't make any priority to make it stick, and. So it came down to a thing where if you want one song, you're gonna pay fifteen, sixteen, eighteen dollars now for the, the CD, which created like this this just 15 year uh, resentment that when the power shifted, people had no problem uh, turning the screws to the music industry and being like, you you stuck it to us for so long. It's like now we can take the thing for free and we're gonna. Um, It just, I I feel like the music industry blew it. Um, The, uh, but it kind of creates a definite. uh, There's there's just a, some people are always going to not value entertainment. It just didn't value what it takes to make things. They're just not gonna They're going to think it's there for them because they can get it for free that they, that that's what it's worth but there's plenty of people who completely value it and uh that's all you can worry about are those people
2: well, there, there there is a connection between volunteerism and passion and and it seems like when we talk about things being devalued it seems that volunteerism people making things for this almost for the sake of making them making them for the love of making them that too as seems to have been Devalued, and there seem to be more think pieces about how internships and volunteerism, they don't seem to really make sense. Those people are being taken advantage of. Do you subscribe to that idea?
1: I don't know. I think there's plenty of people making things for the love of making it. I mean, if you look at any, if you go to Etsy or anything like that, I mean, there's tons of people who just are interested in, in doing a certain thing, and they do it, and they're not looking to they're not looking to turn their thing into a multinational corporation. They're, they're looking to make the thing they make and sell it and just reach people, uh, one at a time. Um, it's such a, it's, I I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like the, the, um, so much of the, the old structure of things is just set up to take advantage of people and uh, really kind of run young people uh, through the the grinder to just get whatever they can get from them.
2: I, I, I hear you there. I mean, I've spent a lot of time and energy on producing this podcast, my own podcast, and I've spent very little time trying to leverage any kind of living from this work. I think in my head I assumed and perhaps still assume it's not really possible. I get a lot of free pizza. Sometimes I get free records, free books, you know, and yeah. I'm kind of living off of that and trying to find uh, money to raise my family and pay some bills and all that stuff on, on the side. Have you had any of those kinds of doubts about this, the, the the best show? And, and if, sw- if so, what swayed you to bring the show back in this way as a podcast?
1: I mean, well, the show's not going to really be a podcast. It's going to be live on the Internet, um, just the way the show was live on the internet for anybody who wasn't living in the, 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 uh, terrestrial radio, uh, the area that the WFMU antenna covers. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the same exact show for, for most everybody. Um, and then it'll be available as a podcast, just like the previous show was, it's just not on terrestrial radio anymore. So, um, we're, it's like a weird, it's it, it's a weird kind of hybrid uh, thing we're doing here. Um, in terms of doubt or, or anything like that, it's like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I can't worry about it. I, I uh, you know, people like this show and I like doing it. And so I'll put my money where my mouth is and see what we can turn this into. Um, I'm just, you just at some point just got to go for it.
2: So the show, the show content-wise, will be essentially the same as it was. Uh, but you've clearly struck upon some kind of business model or, or something to to make it a bit more viable. Is that the is that the idea?
1: Well, it'll be the same. It'll be the show, but it will have some advertisements in it. We'll, we'll all do some commercial reads.
2: That's 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 the main difference. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's that's all it is. You've you've looked into this. You've figured out plan and it seems to make sense. Yeah. It does. I ask you this as a baffled podcaster. That's that's the as a person who's tried to do that a little bit and not had as much luck. Uh-huh. And and I'm not clearly, you know, I'm not obviously comparing my show to yours, but I <laughs> that's just a a struggle that I've had and I think many people like me have had because, you know, this is a a thick field of uh, people. Again, I understand that you're not making a podcast per se, but uh it's it's, intri- it's inspiring, intriguing, and also uh, confusing to see you doing this for someone like me.
1: Well, what, okay, well, what, I mean, what, what's confusing about it?
2: Well, the idea that you're actually going to make a go of this, and I think, I hope, you will succeed. I mean, that kind of stuff is, uh, for someone in the same realm, that, that kind of stuff is, as I say, it's inspiring. But it's also like, huh, I wish I could figure out a way to do that, too. Uh-huh
1: yeah well i mean look i've i've did the show for over over thirteen years so i've built up uh i i built a lot of stuff up here you know it's it's been it's been a, it's been a a long time of uh building this and now it's time to try it in a different a different uh medium.
2: Were you surprised at all by the impact that ending the show had on on your fans and and the media generally? Like people really were sad and people really wanted to cover this as as something that was significant to them. Did that surprise you in any particular way?
1: Um it was nice it was really nice to see that everybody got behind it and, and and really did seem to care about the end of the show. Yeah, that was really uh that was that was great. Um I was uh I sometimes you have to end something for for there to be a uh, like a focus put on it and people can see what it actually is and was that you were doing when it, when there's not a new one every week.
2: Right. The, so. the the kind of, you know, don't know what you got till it's gone idea?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that I think it 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 kind of revealed itself for a lot of people. Um yeah including myself. I didn't know the scope of the stuff until I didn't have another show to do.
2: I I feel like uh, people like myself were aware of the resonance that the show has had sort of internationally, internet wise, you know, people all around the world talk about this show and love the show. What's the what was the feeling like in your immediate community about the end of the original show?
1: In the, what do you mean the the community what kind of community
2: like within your your the people around you in new jersey uh, the people that you see every day were were there out, similar outpourings were people like well, you know you had a good run uh what what's next were you getting a lot of that sort of stuff
1: um yeah people were people uh people definitely knew the show and people were definitely uh people were definitely uh sad that it was ending. And they weren't sure what I was going to do next, and uh yeah, so we it's a lot of people have been very very relieved and excited that the, that we're doing it again
2: yeah were you actually raised in new jersey yeah and, and what was your what was that like What was your upbringing like there
1: Just the you know i would say lower end of middle class.
2: So did you, I mean, would you remember the first sort of sparks of interest in music or comedy as a kid?
1: Um, sure. I I was always interested in comedy and music. Those were the two things I was interested in. Um, I don't even remember where it started, but it just, those were, that was it for me were those two, those two things. And I, I kind of chased both of them at the same, same, uh, the same enthusiasm.
2: Were your was your family into those things? Were Were they supportive of your interest?
1: I mean, they were supportive of of whatever I wanted to do with stuff. Um, yeah, but I don't come from any artistic family. I come from a family of of uh, working class people. So,
2: did you yourself perform music or or comedy at an early age? No, no. <laughs> so. No. So who were some of those early influences that when you say you were always kind of interested in comedy like what what was it that initially sparked that?
1: At SCTV, Saturday Night Live, David Letterman, um Bill Murray movies, um Howard Stern, stuff like that. Those were the those were the initial ones.
2: So some not only sort of sketch comedy but also Broadcasters,
1: sure, yeah, yeah those I mean,
2: kind, mm-hmm. those kinds of people resonate with you. And at the time, I don't know. I, I mean, I I was peripherally aware of those things growing up. I was, I'm you know, I'm 36, but I watched them when I got the chance. Um, from your perspective, there really wasn't anything like those shows that you mentioned. Kind of before those shows, right?
1: Before like which ones? Like what?
2: before Letterman and SCTV and Stern. These were these were innovative things. These were things that you. I mean, you were probably a kid too at some level, yeah. but
1: they were no. They were definitely they were definitely uh, uh, like, uh, for lack of a better phrase, game changers because they they kind of broke the old Hollywood model and and started doing something that's that spoke to uh, to uh, kids and uh, people with a different attitude toward things people that would laugh at the conventions of show business rather than embrace them.
2: And did your interest in those things manifest themselves when you were in high school or anything? I mean, I asked about you as an early as a kid, but did you start to get into producing your own content, so to speak, uh, in high school or uh, university or anything like that?
1: Um, I was doing a lot of writing. Anything I did kind of came out of writing. I started... Uh, I started writing a, a music fanzine and then putting out records because that was the best way for me to be involved in music. Um, so did I did that. Uh, and then also wanted to start writing comedy. So tried to figure out how to do that. Partnered with a friend and we started writing a screenplay. And then you kind of have both things going. And then, uh, then I ended up on the radio and... So I have both of these things, it's like going back and forth, like like uh, ping pong, just <clears throat> kind of between the two poles.
2: And the writing appealed to you, but performing not so much, right?
1: Yeah, that was never my thing. I was more comfortable uh, writing and kind of being behind the scenes. I, I always will be.
2: But in a sense, when you're on the radio, that doesn't feel like a performance, that just feels natural.
1: A little bit of both. I mean, I'm doing. I'm definitely performing, but I. Um, but it's still me doing it, and um, yeah, I, I still just look at that as it's not performing in the way that I'm in front of a, a room full of people. Uh, I'm in. I'm doing it alone in a room, and but I'm in front of a ton of people. Mm -hmm.
2: How did you actually come to be involved with WFMU?
1: I was a fan of the station and would uh, listen to it and then started volunteering there and then uh, submitted uh, a demo tape to do a music show and ended up getting a a slot on uh, overnights. So... Yeah, that w- it, was, uh, it was kind of a very, a very kind of roundabout but very traditional way to get involved there, which is to start off uh, volunteering. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I remember that when my now wife and I decided to start a campus and community show on CFRU uh, here in Guelph, we, we had a drive to do a show of some kind, but part of me also wanted to do a better show than some of the ones I was hearing by others. does the mediocrity or failure of others motivate you in any way?
1: Sometimes you see things that are bad and you're like so, so I I could do better than that. Uh but um I I think at the core level I'm just doing it competing against myself with stuff and just feeling like I need to do the best version of what I can do for for me. Um that that really that's what it feels like at the, at the uh, at the base of it,
2: right? And and th- there's this. I mean, you call the thing the best show. Mm-hmm. That 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 suggests a certain level of confidence in what you're doing. I mean, so many of us are a bit more modest about these things, but you you seem to have this confidence. Or is that is that itself a satiric title?
1: It's a it's a joke. Also,
2: it's also a joke.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like you can take it however you want to take it. It's a, I think it's funny. <laughs> it was meant to be funny at first because I was just not not any I was like in such a nobody at the station for me to call my show that was the big joke.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> was there was there a particular point where you thought, you know, hey, the best show might really be onto something here, you know, with, with between you and John?
1: Yeah, you know, we would just get good reactions from things. People really were people were were just responding to what we were doing and we could feel it growing. And it, um, honestly, we were, we were making ourselves laugh and that was, that was all that mattered. And then when it started growing, then it would, that was just like, all right, well, let's see where, how far this can go.
2: I've read, uh, or heard perhaps even recently where you, where people say like, you know, was it hard to stop doing the show? And you've sort of jokingly said it was very easy actually did not do anything. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> and uh I thought that was funny when when the show ended what were you the most pleased about never having to do again?
1: Uh do f- fundraising is the that's the that's the one that that's the that's the hardest part of the whole thing for me is the 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 fundraising. What
2: as- what? what aspect of it is difficult?
1: Oh because it, it it's like a it's like a um for at the level I, I try to do it at it becomes it's it's like something that hangs around all year by the time I have to start prepping for the for the marathon shows and getting all the prizes lined up and the guests lined up and all the thing and then my premium that goes out to people who pledged at a certain level start to get that together and then to do the shows and then to start making the premium. And that's, that's a year It takes, it takes a year to do that.
2: Right. So the, the, the kind of just part of that volunteerism, that that obligation you have to the, to the station was wearing on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well in this, you know, it's, this is, I think somebody touched upon the fact that you are reentering a pretty crowded field of, of content, podcasts, radio shows. Um, do you have a personal objective or, or mission for this new version of the best show?
1: I, yeah, just to do it as great as possible and to 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 kind of make as big a, a mark as we can.
2: Fair, fairly obvious, I suppose. There's nothing. There's nothing here. There's nothing from the past that you want to necessarily top. It's a, this is a continuation.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's it's it comes down to it's me, and it's me and John, and it's just, and the it's the people who like the show, and let's keep doing the show, but let's do it in this, uh, let's do it in this format where we can uh, hopefully make a little bit of money doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you
2: yourself have a, a favorite uh, podcast? Do you have a favorite show that uh, might be a contemporary of, of the best show?
1: I don't even know about contemporary, but I like Julie Klausner's podcast, How Was Your Week, Um, you know, Marin, WTF, and uh, I listen to a bunch of odds and ends ones, kind of. I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts because I'm really trying to just do my thing and really not I, I don't feel like I have a whole lot of need to consume in that regard I, I'm more interested in putting things out than taking things in right now in terms of that
2: yeah I, I have to say people ask me this, this question sometimes myself and I it's true as soon as I started building this show um, mm-hmm. I kind of stopped listening to other people's shows um, and I don't. I was worried that this was some selfish, narcissistic thing, but I think it's just I was busy.
1: You Can't do both. You can't cons- when you start making things. You can't consume things at the same rate you used to. You just can't. It's like you've got to you've got to be your own kind of ecosystem where you, it's all built on the stuff you generate and put out, and then you're almost. You're doing it to to keep your thing going.
2: Is 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 that a similar? Do you find that to be the the same in terms of uh, comedy writing? Like, do you do you stop, uh, or have you kind of not consumed as much comedy even?
1: It happens, yes. If you're especially if you're writing something, you don't want to read other people's stuff during those periods, and and. Uh, Sometimes you just don't, you feel like you just want to go deeper in your own voice rather than um, just see what literally everybody else is doing.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, one of the reasons you and I are speaking now is because not too long ago you put out a call to any radio show or podcast host who had wanted to speak to you when the best show was ending. Mm -hmm. And you said you were now, you you were ready to talk now. And I mean obviously you've got some things to promote but why call upon those kinds of shows specifically I can't remember the wording but it was something like hey indie radio hosts and podcasts uh-huh. uh, I'm ready to talk why why did you want to reach out to that group
1: You know cuz that's sort of the group I'm a part of It's it's I'm I'm not a part of any uh major uh corporation I'm not doing the show through any sort of uh public radio uh, group or anything like that. I'm not even a part of any sort of podcast network. I'm doing the show by myself um and um so it's uh, I've that's the community I came out of whether it be through the music and through the comedy and all and stuff like that. So it's like I I wanted to talk to those people. That's cuz that's those are those are my people.
2: Do you think? Do you think that um, because of the profile of the best show and, and your own profile being as high as it is, do you think that people are under the perception that you're perhaps more successful than you really are?
1: I guess it depends how what you consider to be success.
2: Well, I think some people might have been like, "Well, why is he quitting this show? Uh, why is he stopping the show? It was, it's, it's. Everyone loves the show, but it was, you know, on some level, it was an economic. It was a personal and economic decision, and I think that might have jarred some people, you know, who presumed that, you know, in, in terms of, not to get crass, but just like financially, it was people who presumed, well, well, that seems to be his job. But it, you had to kind of say like, look, this isn't really my job.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I explained myself. And if if anybody couldn't, still didn't figure it out, then I kind of can't worry about it. It's just like, I, I made, a, I, I gave a pretty clear explanation about why what the the reality of doing the show was, and uh the world that you live within when you do something on non commercial radio and just the reality of what that meant so if anybody still thought some something other than that it's like i can't I can't worry about that sure it's sure. just not they gotta pay attention this
2: box- I want to talk want to- about this box set a little bit um can you Talk about how this thing came. It's a 16 CD box set. It's got a, a book in it, and you, as far as I know, you were giving. I don't know if they're all gone. You were giving away pieces of of John Worcester's phone
1: with pre-orders from the first thing. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple more days left to be able to get that. That might be over by the time this airs. Oh, okay, so.
2: okay. Uh, can you talk a little bit about this box set? What people can expect uh, from these 16 CDs?
1: Sure. It's uh, it's basically. The the uh, we've done we've done uh, two CD sets and three D, three CD sets before of kind of the best of stuff from the show, but this is a, a fully comprehensive uh, kind of just summation of of what. John and I did with the with the calls we do for um, for the entirety of the the run of the show, and there's 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 uh it's got a lot of everybody's favorite characters are on it, and which uh, we, we kept the the things that were that appeared on previous CDs to an absolute bare minimum, just because we want this to be all encompassing. So you have to have some of that stuff on it, but the the vast majority of the stuff has never been on any other CD or anything. And we tried to find whatever things we had recorded that people hadn't heard or things that might be uh, rare and put them on the box as well. Uh, also just kind of contingent on, um, on them being funny too. So we, we were going for the funniest stuff and it really is just the culmination of, of, over 13 years of well, we started in 97 doing stuff. So almost 20 years of work in one one box.
2: Are you generally, I mean, objectively as you can be, are you generally someone who reflects upon your past work uh, a lot or are you someone who needs to do something, put it away and keep going forward? Obviously a project like this uh, kind of forces you to reflect upon things and I'm just curious how that meshes with your sort of daily relationship with the things you've made.
1: Yeah, I've never really had the, the a chance to look back on stuff. We, there was always a show next week, so there was not really much of a chance to, um, to get, uh, there's never much of a chance to kind of get nostalgic or reminiscent about things, uh, right from the get go. Cause it just wasn't, uh, there was always, the reality was that there's another program to do. So, um, just had to be, be getting ready for that. And so.
2: So, I mean, in this year that you've been off WFMU, you've spent most of that time building towards this new version of the show. Did that was, and I don't know if this, this uh, box set was part of this past year or if it was something that's been going, uh, prior to that, but have you had any chance to, actually spend time reflecting on what it is that you and John and, and you yourself have done?
1: I mean, going through all these tapes and all these shows, I mean, that was a massive amount of, of reflection going on. We did so much, I don't think you could do more of it than we did. We did months of it, mm-hmm. of just pouring through the stuff and, and um, really trying to... Um, trying to just figure out what would work for this and then hearing all these things that we did and then realizing the magnitude of what we did. And it really, uh, really pretty, uh, pr- pr- it was nuts to, to be that, to go that deep into what we had done. So.
2: And you've re- for the box sets received blurbs from some prominent, uh, comedians, Amy Poehler, John, John Hodgman, uh, I can't think of everybody off the top of my head, just like a lot of uh, Zach Alphanakis, I think, John Oliver, these kinds of people. What about the actual uh, liner notes? There are some strong c- contributions, I believe. By I haven't seen this yet, obviously. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the contributions of others to this thing?
1: Sure. Um, uh, Pat Oswald wrote something for it, and Julie Klausner wrote something. Uh, Jake Fogelmas did a really... Uh, extensive interview with with john and myself uh damian from uh the band f up wrote a uh thing for us uh ap mike the call screener for the show uh wrote something and john and i wrote these track by track reminiscences and and breakdowns of of what each what each thing uh our memories what each thing of each cut was and t- yeah all kinds of stuff it's really i mean it's a it's a hundred eight page hardcover book it's it's going to be so uh ridiculous
2: Damien it's- Damien is someone uh that i know uh rather well and uh you know he's from closer to me he's good from toronto um was, was he someone that you put a call out to to ask for a write-up or was he someone who offered this?
1: Um, I mean he's a friend of mine so I we, we wanted to get uh, the voice of somebody uh, who would be in a band um, in there and somebody who where the the, the calls that John and I did, the role that they played in the, in the traveling band. So, um, it was great to, uh, to get his version of it. Cause he, he's, he's a really entertaining guy and, uh, really put a good, good, good spin on it.
2: What is the nature you say you're known, he's a friend of yours. How long have you known him? What's the nature of, uh, that relationship?
1: He's been a fan of the show and, uh, I'm a fan of his band and then we met and then kind of became friends. It just uh, so we're. I've known him for. I don't know what at this point, Seven years, something like that.
2: I think it's safe for for both of us to say that he's a a very good man.
1: Oh yeah, no, he's a great guy. He's a good person.
2: And and you're a fan of Fucked Up.
1: I am. Yeah.
2: All right, cool. That's that's good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. It's, they're they're one of our our fine our fine Canadian bands. I would say.
1: Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. They, they, you should be proud. <laughs> call them of your own.
2: Now we talked earlier about this uh, independent network you feel most aligned with. You were featured in a New York Times article recently, and, and earlier this year you were featured in a Nike ad saluting the Yankees. Derek Jeter. Do you have any plans or, or hopes for high profile media appearances in the near future?
1: Um, yeah, I just kind of do whatever whatever is wherever I end up is where I end up. I can't control that stuff. So we just, I'll just do stuff that kind of comes across my, my plate and you end up in weird places sometimes. And it's really funny sometimes. And that's, that's what makes the whole thing. uh, uh, That's what makes it fun is that you don't, I never would have guessed I would have been in that Nike spot and, uh, yeah, so just just stuff like that is crazy.
2: Have you had? Um, I don't. I know you mentioned him earlier, and I don't know if he still resonates with you. But would would something like? Have you had much connection with Letterman? Have you had uh, any w- working or relationship with that show or anything like that?
1: No, no, not at all. Have you been to the show? I know, but no, I never did. I never saw the show.
2: Huh? And if if that came about, obviously, would would you obviously be? into that, or is it something that has lost its luster for you?
1: I, w- I would go watch a taping, but it's not anything I'm chasing after frantically. Sure.
2: I just thought as he's winding down, you know.
1: Yeah, no, it would be nice um, to to see it, but I, sometimes I, I think you see the things on TV, it's like you're better off watching football on television than being at a game and i think sometimes with talk shows and stuff you're better off watching them on tv than being there are you are you
2: a little bit over show business i only ask this because you know you've had a number a number of friends who've appeared on the show on letterman for example and i imagine if you'd wanted to you could hang out at the show if possible uh-huh. this has never appealed to
1: you Oh, you know, look, I've seen, I've gone up and watched Conan a bunch of times when he was here late night. You don't see that, and it was always, it's fun to do, but, um, yeah, I'm not over it, but I think I, I saw what it is for a talk show to function, and, uh, it's, it's, I don't know if it's something I need to see that over and over. I'd rather go on a, uh, like a movie set and see how the that comes together. Cause that, that has some application to what I, I do. I can, I can get something very, I can get actual, uh, knowledge from it.
2: I see. I see. I, you don't, you don't necessarily think the talk show, uh, format is going to enrich you in any particular way.
1: Um, for what I'm looking to do, probably, probably not. Okay.
2: Uh, Slater, Kenny, you were just on the Chris GetHerd show, and people thought they spotted you in the audience using your, your phone. Was that you? No. Now, you you mentioned this on Twitter. Was it just a lookalike?
1: I don't know. I mean, I've been on Chris's show, but um, that's the second time it's happened. I have no idea what it is. I need to actually t- ask Chris about it. Because, I,
2: I, 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 Tom, I watched the show, uh, uh-huh. that episode, and I pretty certain that was you i mean that's
1: just Mm -hmm. okay well it was i'm pretty certain it wasn't because i was down in princeton
2: you weren't even there it was it's just some doppelganger on the phone on Um, on their phone
1: i I had i was down i just was doing a show on wprb that night so i don't know how you get from princeton to uh manhattan in between uh all of the protests uh in no time at all, but it was not me.
2: Interesting. And you were? Was that when you were uh, on the John Solomon show?
1: It was, yes.
2: That was the, John's a good good guy too. I like John.
1: Yeah, me too. John's yeah. a John's a really good guy.
2: Yeah. All right. So you weren't. That's just to just so people hear it from you directly, not a tweet or anything. You were definitely not in the audience during that episode of the Chris Getard show. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. So what? else is coming up like we kind of hit upon this just now but what what else is coming up next for you uh obviously the best show is imminent you say uh Mm -hmm. are you working on anything else
1: um right now i'm really working on this i'm just trying to get this to the to the finish line then then there's some some uh writing stuff that 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 i'm ready to jump into and i'm excited about um but i have to just see this thing through
2: and you're lining up guests like you have some ideas about maybe what the first episode could be.
1: you know, yeah, yes and no. It'll be it'll it'll still be its own thing that I have no idea about until it happens, but yeah, there's stuff there's stuff ready to go.
2: Okay. Cool. Well, once again, Tom Sharpling is the host of The Best Show, which is returning as a podcast and live internet show uh, sometime soon. Also, Numero Group is releasing The Best of The Best Show 16 CD box set on March 17th, but you can pre pre-order it now. And as Tom mentioned, uh, there you could still possibly receive a piece of John Worcester's phone, which he and Tom you smashed it. Is that what happened?
1: You smashed it with hammers. Yeah.
2: You smashed it with hammers, and you're giving away small chunks of it to people, uh, which is a nice uh, a nice gift as well. Uh, for more information, please visit thebeshow.net and numerogroup.com. Uh, Tom, normally at this point uh, on the program, I would uh, ask my guest to choose a song, uh, perhaps a comedy bit uh, to go out on. Um, I'm not sure if something comes to mind for you. Uh, we talked about Fucked Up, uh, F'd Up, Fucked Up, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I, I don't know if they have a song or if there's something else that we could play out right now.
1: Huh. What would be good to play out? Well... Uh... What about um yeah, let me think. what what's a good song off the new album that would be What should we play? What would be good from the new album?
2: Let me see here. Let me uh let me pull it up as well. What?
1: Sunglass?
2: Just... Yeah, that was a single. That was a that's a really good song. Good good video. They're eating ice cream in it. Yeah. Uh, which is a nice earlier we talked about how we don't like the winter as much as we used to and yeah. that's a nice image. I think Sunglass would be would be a cool thing. A nice nod to Damien and Fucked Up.
1: That makes sense to me. All right. W-
2: let, let's do that. This is Sunglass by Fucked Up. Uh, Tom Sharpling, it uh, was a great pleasure to speak with you. I want to thank you for your time, and obviously best of luck with the best show.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I I, uh, I really do.
2: If you enjoy the creative control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge please visit patreon.com slash creative control that's patreo dot com slash creative control with two k's you can pledge one dollar a month or four dollars eight dollars thirty dollars fifty dollars a hundred dollars a month whatever you want there are gifts and incentives to pledge more than anything you can keep this show going there's no other revenue stream for this podcast I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture but I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work so if you appreciate creative control again please consider pledging a monthly amount all of the info you need is at patreon.com slash creative control thank you